Hi, everyone. I'm Blake Bartlett, and I'm a partner here at OpenView. As a VC firm, we invest in software companies and help them grow faster. This season on the Build podcast, we're talking about product-led growth. Each week, I sit down with operators to hear firsthand how they've put their product at the center of user acquisition, conversion, and expansion. Now, on with the show. Today's episode is all about marketing. There's so much more to marketing than meets the eye, but all of the nuances can be confusing. From brand marketing, to product marketing, to growth marketing, what do these terms mean? Why are they important? And ultimately, how should you tackle each of them? Thankfully, today we're joined by Kelly Watkins, who helps us navigate all of the above. She has led marketing for amazing companies like GitHub and Slack, and today she helps us unpack the state of marketing in 2019. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for joining us here on the Build Podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks, Blake. It's really great to be here, and I appreciate you having me on. So we're going to jump into all things you know, that kind of pertain to the state of marketing in 2019. But before we get there, how did you become a marketer? You know, it's funny. On the one hand, it was completely accidental, but also, I think, destined in a way. You know, I, I never set out in life to do marketing I was thinking the other day, remembering back in high school, I wanted to be a magazine editor. That was my big life aspiration at the time. But I ended up going to college and studying theology and got out of school trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And it provided this really interesting path into marketing and communications. And it's been a windy path, working on nonprofits, working independently as a consultant, and then the last six years in tech marketing. And I think if you trace the lines, they make sense in retrospect. But you know, it's a surprise to me sometimes too as well. When it comes to marketing and the marketing leadership roles you've had in tech companies, you've worked at two amazing companies, first at GitHub and then at Slack. So what were some of the key insights you had at GitHub and how'd you iterate on that at Slack? Sure. I went to GitHub in 2013. It was in a really interesting time for the company and the products that we had, but also I think an interesting time in the world of marketing as well. And there were three things that really stood out for me from that time. One, I think was this aha that for GitHub in particular, we weren't just selling a product. We were also selling a way of doing something. GitHub was a thing, but it was also very much a how. And that product plus workflow aspect of marketing and storytelling was really fascinating to me. Second, when I looked at our growth model at the time, it was very much about how do you think about not just decision makers inside of companies, but end users? How do you think about the people that use your product every day and their role in growth? And then finally, we had such a brand and such a voice. And I think it was this time in my life where I really developed a lot of EQ around marketing. How do you think about the craft of marketing and how it works? And Oddly enough, there are so many similarities between that time and the past three years at Slack as well. You know, very similar in the sense that Slack isn't just selling a product, it's also selling a place. So there's that combination of product education and product marketing, but also bigger systemic things that we were trying to influence around how people think about work, how collaboration happens inside of companies and where people are doing the day-to-day -day tasks of their job. At Slack, end users had a huge role in how we grew I think more so today, lots of brands and products are trying to wrestle with that end user advocacy piece. And then finally, you know, just craft and this concept of courtesy and how courtesy is really critical for how to market became really powerful at Slack. So 
GitHub, I think, was a start of these ideas kind of forming for me and really influencing my approach as a marketer. And then at Slack, I think they just kind of became much more embedded in how I think about things and how I see the world. And something you mentioned there that I wanted to pick up on, because I think it's really interesting, especially as we think about, you know, this season of the Build podcast being about product-led growth. You know, one thing that's definitely a core tenet of product-led growth is it's almost kind of flipping or inverting the script of how you think about who you're building product for, and then also who you're primarily communicating to and who you need to be adding value to at the beginning parts of a customer journey. And so the sort of flip is that, you know, in the traditional model, in the sort of old world of software or SaaS, the focus was really at the buyer, really at the executive level. How can we go find the person who owns the budget, you know, start marketing to them, start cold calling into them, convince them they need to use our product, get the closed one deal, right? And then we roll it out to the end users and we do enablement and training. It was just a completely different way of doing software. Totally. Today, it's how can we find an individual user who has this specific pain point How can we offer them a freemium product or a free trial of a product that's going to solve this immediate pain point and get them addicted to using our product because we're adding value and then have it spread in an organization? Eventually, at some point, it bubbles up to the buyer. It's kind of this flipping of the script of focusing on the user and really kind of adding value to that user as really the starting point for all value to be delivered to a customer. So my question on marketing is, how does that difference of focusing on the user versus the executive buyer change the message you use or the tactics you use or the brand voice or brand messages you have? I think it's a couple things, really. And I think you're right. It's fascinating to see how much power individual employees have inside of companies these days. And there's a a lot of reasons for that that we could go into. But at a high level, I think companies are really hungry to recruit and retain the best talent. And at the same time, we have such great products in our lives as consumers. I'm looking at my phone right now and I have really amazing apps on my phone that I use personally. I don't want to go to work and spend eight plus hours a day in a product that's really awful to use. So because of that dynamic that's taking place, I think there has to be a lot of care and attention on the product side that's paid to user flows, user experience, UI, just as much as possible, the removal of friction from any sort of product features. But then I think that also backs up into marketing as well. And that piece around removing friction is really, really important. You know, the old world of demand generation, marketing qualified leads was very much about, I think, making people jump through hoops in order to get them into your funnel. So we produce this great white paper, but we won't let you have it unless you give us your email address. I don't think that works in this new model. So it's a very different reinvention of things. And I think that means that not only do you have to switch how people interact with your website, how they get into your product on the marketing side, but you've got to really beef up on the back end when it comes to the tooling and the analytics that you have. Otherwise, you're in this weird world of you know wanting to offer decreased friction for people, but not being able to make any sense of what your audience is doing and whether it's working or not. So it's a very interesting subversion. And it's harder, I think, to recruit end users and really turn them into advocates, but it's also then harder to go up market from there. It was a much easier world, I think, when you could find a decision maker, get them to make a decision, and then people had no choice about whether their product was going to be adopted inside the company. It's much harder, I think, to push that viral grassroots growth and then get decision makers to care from there. I feel a lot for marketers today because it's a very different dynamic that we're working in. 
And something you mentioned in there was in B2B marketing today, we're seeing sort of an evolution from, you know, a prior way of doing it with gated content and walls that are up and things like that into a more open model. And I think that's a really interesting thread to keep pulling on really unpacking marketing and getting into some of the nitty gritty. So, you know, one thing that I do see is that, you know, folks, when they refer to marketing, they kind of refer to marketing in this monolithic way. It's just all marketing. It's one flavor of marketing. But reality is that there's many sort of different types of marketing. And they're all important to the marketing strategy. So, you know, I think of things like brand marketing and demand gen marketing and product marketing. All are super important, but all are super distinct as well. And you've had the unique experience of owning all these different things. So maybe give us some quick definitions. How should folks think about the difference between these different types of marketing? Sure. So at a high level, I think all aspects of marketing are about different dynamics of conversations with your user base. And so when I approach it from that angle and look at things like brand marketing or product marketing or demand generation, they all sort of, to me, are different points in the conversation. So brand marketing, I think at a very basic level, is how you start a conversation with somebody. It's how you put out this idea into the world of this is who we are and this is what we stand for and this is why you might care. Product marketing, I think, is very much about shaping the conversation. Great product marketing, I think, provides foundations for every other part of marketing and really helps everything be rooted in what our product actually enables people to do. So it it shapes the conversation early on, but I also think it shapes the conversation later once somebody gets into the product and we're trying to take the conversation into a much more educational tone. And then demand generation, you know, that word feels really dated to me, but if I take that out, what I think that world of marketing is really about is that invitational aspect of the conversation. How do you take people who have some awareness and invite them to come further on the journey with you? And I think there's a real aspect of that today that's really about earning permission to take that conversation and turn it into a relationship with somebody. That's generally how I think about what each of those parts of marketing does today in this new kind of interesting dynamic that we're living in. And we're also starting to enter into a phase where people are talking about what's next, right? Growth marketing, account-based marketing, et cetera. And I want to get into that kind of where are we now and where are we going? But first, just to unpack some of these components of marketing that you had talked about, maybe starting with a dive into product marketing. Product marketing to me is one that is often very much overlooked. It's kind of the last thought you know, when it comes to marketing, but I think it's pretty impactful. So how should young companies think about product marketing and its potential for impact in their company? For me and the marketing organizations that I've had the chance to build, I've always viewed product marketing as the heart and the center of the marketing organization. And I think that's because product marketing does a couple things. One, it's this very complementary and necessary partner to product. So while product is really focusing on what we build, product marketing is answering why and for whom. And I think you have to have those three pieces as fodder and inspiration and substance for how you market. I also think that product marketing, when it is the heart of how your marketing organization is set up and how you market, there's just much more sort of realness and value that you can deliver to people at any point that they're in conversation with you. So I think people are not super tolerant today or interested in the very superficial marketing that's, you know, this is simpler, better, faster. 
they want a deeper take. And because product marketing should and can be so embedded in the world of product, it has the potential to make things have more depth. So, you know, I think for young companies who are starting out, there's incredible power and potential for them to start marketing strong in the early days by really building from product marketing first. And when do you think a young company should hire their first dedicated product marketing individual? I think early. I think product marketing has a ton that they can do even in very early stages. Now, I think product marketers are really important to include in beta programs for products even. My bias is that it should be likely your first marketing hire is someone who's a really strong product marketer. But I think if you're going to take that path, you've got to be willing to give them a bigger box of influence than just what you might consider classic marketing. So it's not just website copy. It's not just email campaigns or you know content for the blog. If you're going to really begin with product marketing and make that your first marketing hire, have your product marketers sit in on conversations about new user flows into the product. Have them play a part in conversations about the pricing page. The product marketing lens on all of those aspects is really critical. And I think it enables product marketing to be this very unifying force across all these experiences that people are going to have with your product and your company and your product flows. Now, one of the problems that I see with product marketing, and and some of this might just be my perception, but I do see it as being this issue with, you know, you do in product marketing, all the creative work and all the problem solving work, you know, you publish it out. And then a week later, your competitors just steal your copy. (laughs) So now the playing field has been back to level. So how do you navigate that dynamic? I think you've got to go deeper. And this is where I think product marketing has the potential to shine. You know, I think for product marketing to work well, it's got to be that deep connection to the product. And I think when there is that deep connection, the copy is often less copyable unless people are just rinse and repeating your product in a very particular way, which often happens. I also think that you can't get thrown off by that. You know, the saying that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I think you can't let that be a distraction. And the way to not have it be a distraction is to be specific and really focus on substance rather than just superficial discussions. And shifting gears into similar set of deep dive questions into brand marketing, you know, I often hear it oversimplified simply into, well, this is TV ads, this is billboards, this is glossy magazines. But what is brand marketing actually? Is it that or is it something more and something deeper? Brand marketing to me is the components of marketing that help give your company and your product a sense of credibility and help really shape people's minds around who you are and what you do. So yes, you know, there are tactical components of brand marketing, there are channels that you might want to deploy or not deploy for a variety of reasons. But if you're going to take brand marketing on, it's because you want to have some capacity to shape people's sentiment or their impressions about who you are and what you do. And to me, brand marketing has this dynamic of being a bit of a weird beast. You know, it's kind of on the one hand, it's the fun, aspirational part of every marketer's career. It's kind of what marketers stay up at night dreaming about before (laughs) bed, right? (laughs) If I could only have that TV ad as well or the budget to do it. But then it's also either by executives or by marketers themselves, it's often dismissed as really kind of this expensive luxury with poor ROI, only reserved for companies that are either, you know, massively overfunded or, you know, extremely large and, you know, have already arrived. So how should companies actually reframe this question about brand marketing ROI? How should companies think about, you know, the impact and measuring it? 
Yeah, this is such an age-old question, right? Even today when I talk to folks and other marketing leaders, they're either on one side of this from their own perspective or for the perspective of their company or their board. And I think people are either really believing in it or they're really not. So my take is that if you're going to do brand marketing, you should do it because it's somehow connected to the way that you're trying to grow as a business. And I think that not only influences what brand marketing programs you take on, but how much and how you measure them. Let me give a specific example. So at Slack, brand marketing was a really important part of how we marketed. But the reason for that was when you came to the Slack website, the immediate thing that we wanted you to do was to get started with the product, to get into Slack and to start experiencing it. And that meant that by the time you made it to slack.com, you had to have some pretty significant level of not only awareness, but you had to be into consideration and intent. It was a high intent set of landing pages that we were shipping. And that meant that we wanted to early on start influencing people to see Slack as a thing. It has credibility and it is valid for me to use at work. And here's the sense of what it does. And that kind of purchasing cycle as well, I think is really tied to what we were trying to get people to remember that in the moment at work, when they weren't seeing a Slack ad, when they weren't exposed to some piece of advertising or marketing or communications from us, but instead they were having this moment where something was hard. They couldn't collaborate with the team. They couldn't communicate with somebody. We wanted them to remember who we were and then go to our website and sign up. So that's why we took it on. But other folks might have different whys. And so prior than going straight to the measurement question, I think folks have to really start with what are they trying to achieve? What are our goals and how are we going to achieve those goals? And then how do we measure it? There's lots of different ways to measure brand marketing. And I'm sure we can do like an entire podcast conversation on that. You know, I, as a marketer, tend to care about two things, really. One, unaided awareness. So are people remembering who we are at an increasing level without having to be prompted for our product name? And then second, brand sentiment. So are the messages that we're putting out in the world in these brand marketing mediums, are they resonating with people? Are we really shaping minds? Are we through brand marketing, laying the early foundational components for people so that when they come to the product, they have a sense of what it is so that activation happens more quickly so that their expectations are really closely matched with what we do. And there's a really great white paper that I tell everybody to read called The Long and the Short of It, which is really about how you think about the difference between measuring brand marketing efforts and measuring something like a paid advertising campaign. And it has a lot of wisdom in it. And I think if folks are really stuck on this question, it's a great resource that people should check out. So back to the lens of thinking about you know young companies that are figuring out marketing or doing marketing for the first time or in the early innings of that, what would you say is the sort of crawl, walk, run versions of doing brand marketing? Where should young companies start and how should they evolve that as they grow? Maybe that through the lens of Slack and kind of what the crawl, walk, run version of that was at Slack, that might be an interesting case study. Yeah, I think we went through a couple different evolutions of it really based on where we were in the company's life cycle and in the company's evolution. And, you know, I think there were a couple things that we did to really hone brand marketing. And I'll talk about those specifically. Again, that first piece was really what are we trying to achieve? 
And I think the crawl walk version for everybody, young companies and old companies alike, begins with that. Any marketing tactic is a means to an end. And I think you have to figure out what that end was. And the end for us at Slack was that we wanted to sort of put a crack in people's brain that made them think about work slightly differently, that made them think about communication and collaboration slightly differently. And I think that could also give them a sense of hope and optimism that the friction in cross-functional work, the friction in teamwork that they were encountering didn't have to be the status quo. The second piece was really getting specific on who our audience was. And this is where I see a lot of folks struggle. They view everyone as an audience. And that's never a great way to approach brand marketing because then you end up with really diffuse messages and really diffuse channels. So I think get specific. Who's the audience? And then once you have those two pieces, then I think it's possible to start testing things, start testing creative, start testing channels. And A big aha that we came to, I think, through a lot of experimentation at Slack is that the folks that we were trying to reach was really people in particular lines of business. So, you know, we were trying to reach the marketing team, the sales team, the engineering team, the product team. And we were trying to talk to them about sort of the benefits for Slack within the context of their particular functional group. And we really did a lot of research and a lot of thinking. And what we identified was that we had this opportunity to reach those groups of people with a message about how Slack can make communication easier when people weren't at the office. And the reason why that was really nicely aligned was those moments were the highest friction, right? You think about commuting and trying to get things queued up for the workday when you're commuting, thinking about, you know, you're offsite, you're traveling, like all of these moments when you're out of office and you need to be connected to your team and your function, but you can't be. And then that really influenced where we thought about putting ads, you know, doing ads on radio during morning and evening drive time, doing ads in airports, doing ads in magazines that we had a lot of data on that were ones that people consistently picked up when they were traveling, that type of stuff. So that combination sort of thinking and strategy was really embedded in Slack and what we were trying to do. And so my point is there, crawl walk for anybody is taking that embedded approach. What are you trying to achieve and how do you build brand marketing from there? You know, I think there's lots of ways that you can test different channels, you know, whether it's digital, whether it's more traditional But I think that experimentation approach can be really helpful. And I guess the last piece of advice that I would share is that recognizing that any investment in brand is a long-term thing. Brand is not a component of marketing, at least in my belief and my experience, where you're going to see this immediate state change for a business. You've got to really invest in consistency of message, consistency of creative, consistency of channel. So for us, you know, we were running the same creative on the same channels for, you know, a year because we were trying to build brand recall and build brand sentiment. And yes, obviously, you know, we're doing measurement in the market to see how things are growing on an ongoing basis. It's tricky in that regard because you've got to, I think, really believe in it if you're going to take it on because it's not going to show this immediate progress two days after you do a campaign in the way that a paid advertising campaign would. In rounding out our review of the you know three different main pillars of B2B marketing, we come to the last and final, everybody's favorite, demand gen, right? <laughs> the traditional thing that people think about when they think about B2B marketing. But as you were mentioning earlier in the conversation, it seems to me like we're in a bit of a state of transition when it comes to demand gen in the world of B2B marketing. I think for a long time, and you kind of alluded to this, the tried and true playbook was write a bunch of blog posts, do a bunch of webinars, gate everything, and 
then nurture the crap out of them with marketing automation, right? That was kind of the playbook and it worked. But it seems to me at least that this approach might be starting to wane in terms of efficacy. Is that what you see or what's your view of this? I really think it is. And I think it is for a couple of reasons. I think that approach worked in a world where the marketing funnel was really optimized toward unit economics in a way that produced leads for sales. And so, you know, if you think about this approach of, you know, a bunch of content, a bunch of webinars, the intention there was email capture, right? And then through just persistence and volume, you would get some number of people who would come out on the other side saying, fine, I'll talk to your sales team and let's figure this out. My sense of why that isn't working as well today is because it's just too crowded of a space. There are just not enough humans in the world, given the proliferation of B2B software products that exist, for that to work. It's too competitive and it's too noisy. I also think, though, that because end-user advocacy and end-user product adoption is playing such a disruptive role in the B2B marketing space, Folks are, I think, really resistant to that classic technique. The dog and pony show just doesn't work anymore. People care a lot more about what their peers say about your product than what you're going to say in particular. They want to do their own level of investigation and they want to really actually try out the product. There's not the same level of sort of believability for just receiving some piece of information from marketing and being willing to go from there. And so, you know, curious to know what comes next in this world. Do we see just an evolution of demand gen into something that's, you know, slightly less obtrusive and kind of abusive in some ways to the user? Or do we see that it gets ultimately displaced by something new? I know for a couple of years now, people have been talking about account-based marketing as the next big thing. And then we're, you know, recently seeing the rise of, say, conversational marketing as promoted by and advanced by folks over at Drift, for example. And that's starting to take off. And and you hear about a lot of other things. What do you think about some of those trends? And are those the next big thing? I think it's hard to say. There's nothing that's emerged to me yet as the clear definitive winner. But I also feel skeptical that there's going to be just one approach that universally works. When you look at kind of old school demand generation, everyone was running the same playbook, irrespective of what their product did or irrespective of what kind of the vision and purpose was of the company. And I think now people crave a lot more substance and they crave a lot more personalization. Users want to feel more known and more understood. And I think that's really tricky when you're doing this sort of mass scale effort that's just about targeting and volume. Account-based marketing, I think, has potential, but I think it really depends on how and in what ways you're executing on it. Sometimes I think folks talk about account-based marketing and it's just a weird sort of recycling of classic demand gen, but you're doing more hyper-focused targeting than not. Conversational marketing, the folks that drift, what they're pushing forward, I think is really interesting as well. But I think there's a high level of commitment that companies are going to have to take on to make that work. And where I see it fail is when they approach conversational marketing, but still approach it from the lens of sort of very anemic automation. So, you know, you see the widget pop up and rather than feeling like you're engaging with a human, you know, you feel like you're engaging with a script. That, I think, makes that dynamic tricky. So I don't know specifically what comes next. I think what worked for us at Slack, but again, doesn't work for everybody because we had a really particular product and a really particular growth model 
content had a huge impact for us because I think what we were trying to do was put things out in the world that were of value to people. And great educational, high value content was something that made people consider us and made people care. How are you going to provide value for people in a way that earns that permission to go further rather than, you know, spamming people and sort of wearing them down to the point that they're willing to keep talking to you. So it sounds like jury's still out a little bit on ABM and conversational marketing, but I guess what about growth marketing? I'm hearing that come up more and more as potentially the next big thing. So, you know, what is growth marketing in your mind? And do you think that that's, you know, going to be the next big thing? Oh man, growth marketing is tricky because I think it entirely depends on who you're talking to and what sort of latent assumptions they're bringing to the table when it comes to growth marketing. I see it sometimes as kind of data-driven automation focus. So folks are under the umbrella of growth. You know, they're using a particular software to hyper-customize landing pages based on data that they can tell from the audience. Or, you know, I think sometimes just a rebrand of the customer acquisition teams that we've always had, just, you know, with this kind of fresh coat of paint on them. When I think about growth marketing, though, like if I'm going to abstract kind of the confusion that I think we have in the industry about it, you know, I think the potential for growth marketing is to really focus on sort of user first customer acquisition. I don't know if that's a broadly shared sentiment around the definition for growth marketing, but I think that was certainly the spirit and intent with which we engaged in that world at Slack, at GitHub, and I'm seeing other folks do that as well. It was about how do we know our audience, how do we know what matters to them, and how do we focus on the production of personalized assets and materials that we can use to reach out. So it feels like a really hand wavy <laughs> definition, I'm sure, regardless of whether it's ABM or whether it's growth marketing or whether it's conversational marketing. I think the next era of marketing is going to be much more user focused and much more about value. And that seems to be a, certainly a recurring theme for our conversation. We talked about it at the beginning. It almost sets up this kind of juxtaposition between account-based marketing and then user-centric growth marketing, as you described. And it's almost like one is the foil or the inverse to the other. To me, in my mind, it starts to get a bit towards what kind of company are you building for what type of ultimately end customer segment, right? If you're building more of an enterprise-oriented company that's selling to large enterprises, that's selling large, you know, multiple six-figure deals, if not seven-figure deals, where you're talking about long sales cycles, many people involved in the buying decision, you know, then account-based marketing probably makes sense. Find the decision maker, find that executive, find that buyer, you know, find everybody else around that buyer that's going to be an influencer and do everything you can to kind of build champions inside the company in order to drive conversion at that buyer level. Right. But it still is ultimately that kind of more traditional sales orientation of get the buyer and then you'll get the users later after you get the conversion. But then, you know, as you're describing it, the user centric growth marketing approach is flipping it. It's almost the anti ABM in that regard. It's not about the account. It's not about the customer journey so much. It's about the user and it's about the user journey. And if we treat each individual user as an individual and seek to solve their problems, seek to speak to them directly and seek to sort of alleviate pain that they they might have and give them an individual delightful experience and then naturally in the product or through the marketing 
find ways to sort of create collaboration opportunities that would create viral sort of sharing opportunities so that there's growth that comes out of it so that you do ultimately penetrate the account more, then great. But that's kind of a second order of importance dynamic after you've served and added value to that first end user itself. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's this world in which the fundamental question is, why does this matter to me? And so I think if you're going to take on growth marketing, you have to be prepared to answer that question at the user level. And the other piece that you said, which I think is really true for me in all of this, and sort of this general soapbox I have with marketing at large, is that I think as a discipline, we really suffer from bright, shiny object syndrome. There's good reason for that, right? Marketing is hard. And the expectations of marketers inside of companies today are really profound. And marketers get a lot of praise when everything's going right, but they get a lot of blame when growth stalls and when things are hard and when the product isn't being adopted at the pace that matches expectations of an executive team or of a board or of funders or what have you. And so I think because of that pressure, as a discipline, we're like constantly on the lookout for what's that one weird trick? What is going to work for whatever we're up against? And I think it doesn't exist. And I think we do a disservice to ourselves when we kind of promote these abstract sort of programmatic notions as the next big thing. Because the truth is, for some companies, based on how they're trying to grow, ABM might be the perfect programmatic solution for them. Like you said, you know, if you're going to run a traditional B2B growth model and you're really going to focus on sales driving growth, you should probably do ABM. But if that's not strategically how your business and how your product is trying to grow, you should find potentially something else. You know, I think where we need to start is what's my product? What's the goal of my business? Who is my audience? And it's less about the next big thing and more about what is the tactic? What are the programs? What are the channels that are purposefully aligned with the very specific answers to those questions? We're at this transition point, and it's going to be fascinating to see where is the future of ABM, perhaps in more enterprise-oriented models. Where is the future of growth marketing, you know, perhaps in more product-led growth kind of you know bottoms-up models. We're at the early innings of this, but it definitely seems to be taking off very, very quickly. So we're all going to be fascinated to watch the evolution here. So I guess my final question for you is: I know that you just made a transition, and you're sort of branching out to start your own thing. Tell us about that decision-making process and what comes next for you in your journey. Yeah, I mean, I think like all big decisions, these things are never easy. Slack has been an amazing experience for me. And I think I will be forever grateful for the chance to work there and the chance to lead marketing there. Really what it came down to is I've had this kind of reoccurring five-year plan that I wanted to take a bigger view that I have these strong beliefs about what I think marketing can be and what it should be. I want to have sort of this ability to think about preserving some aspects of the craft of marketing, particularly around storytelling, around brand. I got to the point, I think, where I didn't want that to be this reoccurring five-year plan. And I really wanted to focus on that now. So at the moment, I'm doing a lot of advising work, working with a lot of companies who are entering that growth stage and helping them think about What's the team and the organizational design that they need? How do they think about programs? And how do they think about marketing sort of becoming this accelerant in partnership with product to really get them moving and and, and get things going where they need to go? So it's a really exciting time, I think, for marketing just at large. And I'm super jazzed to kind of get out there and see what challenges folks are up against and see if there are ways that I can help. 
And for anybody listening today that you know wants to hear more about some of these insights and perhaps work with you um, as they're going through the growth stage, where can they find out more information? Oh man, this is where I'm feeling as a marketer. I haven't even stood up a website yet. <laughs> I think probably the best thing is to just hit me up on LinkedIn and you know we can go from there. Awesome. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Build Podcast. This has been fantastic. Thanks for having me. It was a fun conversation, Blake. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you won't miss an episode. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. And you can also follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture and subscribe to our newsletter that is sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning. You can do this by going to openviewpartners.com slash newsletter. See you next time.